TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Ah, uh, well, we don't play that song too often, Ray Dinger, but today is the day that we un- pull it out of the closet. There you go. It is. A huge day in Philadelphia 76ers land for the franchise and the fans. How you doing, Ray Dinger? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. Another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Uh, and we are currently just, wow, eight hours, I believe, if my math is correct, from tip-off to the 2022 NBA playoffs. Four-seeded Sixers. Uh, what are they, 51-31. and 31. Set to face the fifth-seeded Toronto Rappers. Opening round, game one, best of seven, Wells Fargo Center. Ray, it's been, it was four years of tanking, followed by four years of making the playoffs and kind of going out earlier than the fans wanted to. And so, Ray, is this finally the payoff year? Ray, what's your mindset? Payoff meaning what? Payoff meaning you give them a good run. Oh, I thought you meant a parade. Well, well, let's, you know, baby steps. Take it one step at a time? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's going to be a struggle. I think it's going to be a struggle. If anything, if what we've seen over the last few weeks means anything, um, you have to think that the, that the whole playoff run is going to be a struggle starting from, starting from tonight. Yeah. You know, if opening round, you know, you hope you get a breather. You hope you get a team that's not too tough that you can dust off in four or five games, just sort of sharpen up and get ready for the real competition. But, the real competition is here, and it's going to be here for this team the whole postseason drive because right now they're not playing championship basketball. You know, and I guess you know I've I've heard a lot of people over the last few days because they're so invested in this, and because like you said, all the tanking was meant to lead up to a moment that was going to bring us a championship. So a lot of people are trying to convince themselves, I think, that now oh, what happened the last couple of weeks, these few really bad games and some discouraging losses, and that doesn't really mean anything because. You know, ten, you know, tonight, 6 o'clock, they flip the switch. You know, Doc Rivers suddenly remembers how to run a bench. Um, James Harden turns back the clock and becomes Houston James Harden. And Joel Embiid stakes his claim to why he should be the MVP, and all's well with the world. And I, I'd like to think it's going to be that simple, but I kind of don't think it's going to be. Well, I think I, I generally agree with you. Um, just uh, let me give people some background, and then we'll get into kind of breaking it down. By the way, 215-592-9494, if you'd like to join us today, we'll tell you everything that's going on in our show between now and one. A lot, a lot of good fun features that we have. But um, the Raptors beat the Sixers twice, late-season matchups. They won three out of four during the season. You put a lot of stock in that? 
Um, yeah, I do. You do? Yeah, I do. I think that Match I think that, you know, I think I think no, I think Toronto is good. You know, I okay. I don't think I mean sometimes you can look at um, the schedule and it's when you play a team and you know maybe it's at the end of a long road trip or you're catching them between tough games and you look past them. Yada yada yada. We've heard all that before, but then. Then you'd look if if you really want to be serious about it. Then you look at the matchups. How does this? How does your team match up with that team? And the fact of the matter is, the Sixers don't match up well with this team, at least oh, in my yeah, opinion. I think it's problematic. I do. Uh, also, the you know it's the hey Sixers four. They got the home court advantage. Four versus five really isn't a big deal. Uh, the history of the league tells you that it's not a huge advantage. Uh, I'm going to get into some of the specifics coming up in a second. I will say it, it's interesting that you say you've heard in the last few days people kind of thinking the Sixers are, are if I heard you correctly, that people are pretty optimistic about that. It seems to have turned around. I mean, it seems oh, like okay. early in the week, no, okay. no, no, early in the week to the middle of the week, like when I was on with Joe and John, um, it was actually fairly pessimistic. Um, but then over the last, I'd say the last 48 hours, um, I'm starting to hear more positivity. And some of it coming from the national media. Some of the national media who I kind of thought were going to be picking this. Everybody's looking for the upset if, if five over four is really that much of an upset. I'm not sure it is. But everybody's kind of looking to pick a, a surprise game, a surprise series. And I've seen some of the national people say, you know, they're, they're going Sixers here. So they're going against what had earlier in the week seemed to be conventional wisdom. So from that standpoint, from in terms of public opinion, national media opinion, it seems to be swinging around later in the week that more people are think, looking at the matchup, looking okay. at the teams and saying, yeah, the Sixers are better. Okay, because I sensed earlier in the week, yes, the fans are more nervous than overconfident. And I think the way the season came down the stretch kind of opened up a lot of fans' eyes that, oh, there, there are some problems here. There are some shortcomings with this team, and maybe you put the coach right at the top of the list. Um, you know, everybody is hoping, 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 hoping that we get a really fun, long, prolonged stretch here or the alternative is agony. Uh, I will say I'm going to start with the with the optimistic. The optimistic spin says this is Embiid's moment. Mm-hmm. He has had a great year. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He has had a chip on his shoulder. The the MVP chip looms about fifty pounds. And you know, while I think there may be too much focus on that, hey, if it works as motivation, that's great. I think we all agree that this year's playoffs, more than anything, is about how far Embiid can carry them. He's never had that defining playoff moment, that series, you know, that season that clarifies his greatness. The optimistic spin says, okay, now the stage is set for Joel. You with me so far? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's a big part of it. Yes, I agree. Okay. The flip side of that is he's got to do a lot of things, including – and I'll, I clearly think this, he's got to outplay the disadvantage the team has at coach. Um, I think Nick Nurse is a much more positive factor than Doc Rivers. I think if they say these things are about matchups, I trust Nick Nurse out there who's always moving things around, switching things, thinking ahead of the game, thinking outside the box, real top-flight coach. I know that Doc Rivers may have made a list recently of the 15 best coaches in NBA career. I don't know that he's one of the 15 best coaches in the NBA right now. I think that Toronto has a big advantage there. Ray Dinger? I agree. All right. Well, there's one. Two. Sixers talents. Sixers have talent. They have a lot of talent, but it's top-heavy. It's Embiid. It's Harden. It's Tyrese Maxey. 
It's Tobias Harris. We'll get into the specifics of those guys. And sometimes that's a great advantage. I think over the course of seven games, depth can matter. The Raptors are more balanced. Again, Nick Nurse has more options than Doc Rivers. I think the lack of bench strength, and you can specifically play, say, you know, the big man, when when Embiid sits down, the big man may play 10 minutes, but if that big man is as poor as what the Sixers have had so far uh, in the paint in those 10 minutes, that's some trouble. I agree. All right. Well, this this is going easier than I thought. Uh, okay, next. Um, I don't know that Tobias Harris is the guy that we always thought he was. Um, I think Tobias Harris is somebody who has to have a big series, and I have not seen that moment in the playoffs before. And I don't have a lot of confidence, based on what I saw in him this season, that he's going to be the guy to rise to do it. Yeah, uh, you need, in a series like this, and in every series moving forward, if indeed they move forward, yeah, I mean, he's going to have to, I mean, nobody's going to expect, or at least I certainly don't expect, that he's going to be the guy that's going to put it on his shoulders and carry him. He's not that player. He's a good player, um, but he's not, to me, he's not a postseason difference-making player. You know, he's, you know they over, I think we all recognize at this point that they overpaid to get him. Uh, but that's beside the point. What, what you, what, that's in the past. What matters is the here and the now. And they're going to need a couple times during this series for him to hit big shots in the fourth quarter. Not, not take over the game, but in a big spot. Because I think it's going to be a lot of close games. I don't think anybody's going to run away from anybody in any of these games. So the fourth quarter, every possession is going to matter. And if he gets an open look from the corner to shoot a three, he's got to make it. You know, He doesn't have to score 40. But he has to score the big baskets in the big moments. That's what we have to see from him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next, I probably should have put this one a little bit higher. When they got James Harden, and we saw those first couple of games, we thought, finally, finally, there's the second guy along with Embiid. So the pressure's not always on Embiid. James Harden is the guy, one of the top players in the NBA, Hall of Famer, still great. What we have seen over the course of the last month gives you fear that Harden, and I, I certainly don't want to say that he's cooked, but is no longer an elite player, is no longer the guy that, that can win the game for you. I don't know if it's, you know, I worry if his hamstrings are okay. Maybe we'll discover he's just been pacing himself over these last 10 games, and now that it's the playoffs, you bring the bell and he's out there. But I, I don't know if he's not just an aging superstar kind of quickly sliding down the cliff? Um, I certainly share that concern. I don't think you and I are alone in that. I, I think that this week, having a little rest will undoubtedly help. Um, I think, and we've talked the last couple of weeks with Derek Bodner and uh, Keith Pompey, um, you know, and I've asked the question, are we looking at James Harden, a guy who's just playing through an injury, which I, I clearly think he is, or is it the more dire consequence that maybe we're just looking at a guy at 32 is just breaking down and isn't isn't that same player anymore? I think the answer probably is it's a little bit of both. You know, I think he probably is not the James Harden he was when he was playing in Houston, winning scoring titles. But you combine that with what I think is still a, a, a painful hamstring. You know, he's he is not what he was when he first got here. When he was when his play was dynamic, it really was. Yeah. Um, but it's gone steadily downhill. 
And I just, I know the Sixers fans are all saying it's the playoffs. You know, he's going to, you know, as they say, flip the switch. And he's going to come out and he's going to play great. And he's going to play like he played when he first got here. Uh, the postseason energy, the adrenaline, all that stuff's going to kick in, and that's going to make all the difference. I, I, I don't know that it's that simple. I don't know that it's that simple. He'll, I don't think he's going to continue to struggle the way he's been struggling to this point. I expect him to play better. But for this team to win this series and really, as you said, quote-unquote, make a run, he's going to have to play like he played those first half dozen games when he came to the Sixers. And I just don't know if right now he's capable of doing that. All right, one more issue. Uh, and this one kind of came to light in the last couple of weeks. Uh, your best defensive player, your stopper, one of your five starters, a guy who's extremely important to the team, Matisse Thibel, will not be able to play those road games in Toronto because he is not fully vaccinated. It was his choice to make. It certainly does not help the team. In a very, very close series where you are looking for any little edge or something to turn the tide, the fact that he can't play in two or three of those games, that worries me. You lose one of those games. One of those games turns in the balance because you can't get the defensive stop because you don't have your right guy out there able to be on the court, and that flips the whole series. Right? It could be enough. And that part really scares me. Yeah, I mean, I think the games in Toronto were going to be difficult anyway, um, but not having Thibault makes them <laughs> that much more difficult. I mean, it's when you lose him and he's – you know, he's your best defender. He's certainly your best perimeter defender. Um, and if you don't have him to to play the three-point line, and especially up in Toronto, I think that's really going to be a problem. I think it's going to make that – I think it's going to make it very hard for them to win on the road in this series. I think it. I think it, losing him for those three games is going to be a huge X factor. I mean, this could turn out to be – a total homer series where the Sixers win them all at home and they lose them all on the road. And if that's the case, good. Then you got the seventh yeah, game at home and you advance. But um, I think the three games in Toronto, which were going to be difficult anyway, without Thibault become significantly more difficult. Yeah. Okay. So, so, we're, so in, I, in essence, we're, in essence, I think we're in agreement right down the line. I think we may be, which makes me a little bit nervous. I will say the Sixers can and will win if Embiid plays out of his mind. We've seen him do it, mm-hmm. right? He's going to mm-hmm. do it consistently. And if a guy whose name we didn't bring up yet, Tyrese Maxey, uh, as a young guy, you know, really getting his first opportunity to shine in a playoff series, is as good as we have seen him in some of those games. And if James Harden can turn the way back machine so that he's suddenly 29 years old. And Doc Rivers sits on the bench and <laughs> doesn't get in the way. Right. <laughs> and you don't have to play your bench. Well, that's, that's pretty how like, you win, I guess, yeah. right? Well, it's a pretty long checklist, but I think if all of those, if I mean, if you check all of those boxes, then you probably win, and then you probably move on. I just don't know that checking them is going to be as easy as just talking about it. All right, Ray. Well, it means that you and I have to make our predictions, and I love doing this uh, as part of the show, and I love the fact that our job allows us to kind of walk that line between being hardcore analysts and fans and it's a fine line sometimes mm-hmm. and as you know i usually move toward the the side of fan we'll talk about the phillies coming up okay but you know that i'll generally lean that way right i've been picked against over the years i've been doing this for 30 how many years i've been doing this well, it'll be 30 years at the end of this year mm-hmm. i've probably picked against the eagles in the playoffs like once okay mm-hmm 
I often lead with my heart. I would love to lead with my. Well, heart. you didn't. You didn't. No, you didn't pick him to beat Tampa Bay this year, did you? No. Okay. Yeah, maybe that was the once. Um, but I do often lead with my heart. I know that. I know I can be guilty of that, but that's okay. That's part of the fun of doing it. I can lead with my heart. I'm saying I'm saying Raptors in six or seven. I think I will be delighted if the Sixers win the series. I would not bet a penny on the Sixers winning the series. I don't have faith for all the things we said. I would be thrilled to be proved wrong. But I honestly have to sit here on this Saturday morning, the 16th of April, and say, I think Toronto wins the series. And I'm hoping that you will disagree with me. Uh, I can't for uh, the simple reason that I've already picked Toronto. (laughs) So, you know, I'm I'm not going to... You were on earlier in the week? Yeah, I was on with Joe and John, and um, they asked me to make a prediction at that point. Um, And I kind of said what you said. I'm I'm certainly rooting for the Sixers. I want to see them make a deep run. I want to see them carry this season on, and I'd love to see them win a championship. I think it would be exciting. I think it would be great for the franchise. I think it would be great for the city, and I've... You know, and I've been a big Embiid guy. I think that, you know, I, I think you're right. I don't think he's going to win the MVP. I think he should. I don't think he will. But if it's all said and done and he's the guy riding down Broad Street holding up the trophy, who cares? You know, so I, I, that's how I would like to see it turn out. But I, and the whole last week's regular season, I, the one thing I kept thinking was I don't want, to, I don't want Toronto. I really, if, they, if there was some way this could have worked out that they could have played another team, if they could have played Chicago, if it could have worked out any other way, I just think this is a. I just think again. I think this is a really bad matchup for them, and and the Thibel factor to me is huge. The three games in Toronto. I think it's going to be a grinding series. As I said, I think every game is going to be close. I don't think there's going to be anything one sided here. I think every game is going to be fought into the fourth quarter. But it's all said and done. I I think Toronto wins. I really do. Yeah. Well. We'll start to learn tonight, 6 o'clock. You know, the Sixers blow them out by 20 tonight. I'll be back tomorrow telling you that uh, I, I flip-flop. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, well you've, done, you've done that before. Sure. Why not? Speaking of which, Ray, speaking of bad predictions, I the Phillies may not go 162-0, I'm afraid. Mm, I think that's already been determined. It was a week ago that they were just ripping the ball all over the ball yard, and I was feeling great. They won the first two games of the year against a terrible franchise, but I thought, hey, this is it. Got some starting pitching. Bullpen looks good. They're crushing the ball. Well, Ray, since you and I last met, they are 1-5, including they they lose 7-1 to the Marlins yesterday. They have now lost four in a row to the Marlins and the Mets, the teams in the division that you got to beat, the Mm -hmm. teams that that last year they couldn't beat. Since the start of 2020, the Phillies are 6-13 in Miami. It's ridiculous. You can't do that. No, you can't. And they can't hit the ball. Ray, say something brilliant. (laughs) Kyle Schwarber? No, you, you know were, he got a home run his yeah, first yeah, bat. Yeah, you were talking. He took that first swing of the bat. You sort of you just all of a sudden you saw Babe Ruth waddling around the bases. <laughs> I saw waddling. Yeah, you. I mean, you you totally you totally lost your head with that one swing of the bat. No, I did not. Yes, I've seen, you did. I've, right. I've seen, hold on. First of all, Kyle Quinn has something he wants to play. So let's get that out of the way. The pitch. Sanchez swings and rips it fair past the dive of Hoskins down into the right field corner. And Sanchez again driving Cooper in. Sanchez trying for third. Here's the relay by Stott, and it's not in time. This is Alan Porter, although Johan Camargo says he thinks he got him. Yeah, he didn't get him. No. Sloppy defense. 
Um, well, so at least we both agreed on that at the outset. Yeah, we, well, as, I, as delirious as you were about the Phillies starting the season, even you didn't go so far as to say, and you know, they're much improved defensively. No, that wasn't going to be. Uh, Kyle Schwarber did hit a home run in his first at bat as a Philly. He is, uh, he's, he's won for his last 28. Schwarber and Bryce Harper are combined seven for 61 with 23 strikeouts. You know what that says to me, Ray? What's that? They're due. Oh, is that what it says? Oh, yeah, today. Turns around today. And I don't know. I, I you know. And I, Matt Veerling is going to he's going to turn into Mike Trout tomorrow. No, right? Matt Veerling is not Mike Trout. Oh, okay. I mean, I know what these. Kyle Schwarber is a guy who's a proven frontline major league player. He's been that. He's just you know not playing well. Anyway, it's not looking that good. I just I I wanted to. Um, I guess give you the opportunity to laugh at me. <laughs> I'm not laughing. Yeah, well, yeah, a- I guess I am. But uh, um. I'm not I, laughing, comma. He said. With he said. He said. He said laughing. Um, no, I mean, listen. It, I got to tell you that I, I was not as over the moon about the team as you were to start the season. But um, if they hit a rough patch, I certainly didn't expect it to look like this. I certainly didn't expect them to lose by not being able to hit. You know, I thought that with the lineup that they had, and you look at it on paper, you say, "Well, this team's going to score runs." Now, do they have really good pitching? Frankly, I don't think so. I'm still not sold on the bullpen, and the defense is beyond atrocious. So that's all out there. But I thought, you know, they'll lose games for those reasons. But they're not going to lose games because they can't hit. Well, right now they're in a stretch where they can't hit. Now, I don't think that's going to be true over 162 games. You've got too many good professional hitters in the lineup for that to happen. But um, I'm going I'm to raise another issue here. It's, oh, there's more. Well, one to, glaring one to me. What? Can Aaron Nola still pitch? No, that's a real concern. Yeah, that's that's two, two. Well, you know, he the, the last start was just terrible, and he couldn't find his control. The one before that, he did the thing where like he's good till he's not good. The manager should have pulled him out. But Aaron Nola, uh, Aaron Nola is the guy who what was it twenty eighteen? It's like, hey, we finally got our one starter, and then it's like, well, maybe he's a two. And then going into this year, like, you know what? He's a nice solid three. He's a good third starter. Right. He's moving down the number week by week he, with. He's moving. He's moving down a notch every start. Yeah, I know. It's a concern. Yeah, I mean, I because you you really thought at, at one time. I think we're all past the point that he's ever going to be the ace. You know, I think that that ship has sailed. But you're thinking, yeah, I think he can be a functional. You know, maybe he can be a pretty solid two, or at, at the very least, a good three. Right now, I'm not sure what he is, yeah. but I, I know this: he's not good. No, he has lost himself, and it's been a long time since he's found himself. And uh, the the hope that it would come early this year is, does not appear to be within possibility. All right, so that was two depressing things. Yeah, the show really will was. not be depressing. Let's we hope promise. not. Coming up on the show, as we move forward, the Ray Dinger College Draft Preview, as we are now, what, two weeks? Less than two weeks. Less than two weeks. Yeah, we're like 10, 11 days from the draft. Ray, what are you going to review today? Uh, I'm going to look at a position that you're probably not going to see called upon on opening night. Probably, you know, Thursday night, round one, you're probably going to go by without one of these guys being picked. But I will tell you, it's a good crop. They're not going to go high, but once you start dipping into it, you're going to find it's a pretty nice well, and that's the running backs. Oh, okay. Sweet. Looking forward to that. This week in Philadelphia sports history, brought to you by Scheib Sports, is going to relive a notorious draft moment. People can probably guess what that is going to be. Derek Bodner, the aforementioned NBA expert, is going to join us at 11. He'll help us tee up Sixers-Raptors tonight. And coming up, oh, I got, by the way, guess what I got for what we're watching today, Ray? Uh, Let me guess. It's a uh, British spy show. Yes! 
It's a I, British cop drama. How did a I new know? one. I love it. How did I know? Oh, come on. They're great. It's, it is. It's a good one. And at noon, tell us your story. We went to our pal Ross Tucker and Ray. Th- it's a really fun one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong interviewing a Princeton guy, right? I mean, you just can't. <laughs> that wasn't my th- that's, I wasn't going to lead with that. Well, I think that's a significant part of the story is how you find your way from being an undrafted free agent from Princeton to a seven-year NFL playing career to a position of being a very highly thought of and extremely visible NFL analyst. So uh, yeah, I think Ross Tucker has a pretty good story, and he was certainly fun to talk to. A lot of fun to talk to, so that's coming up at noon. And we will take your calls, 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. You already know United Tire delivers value and expertise, but now they're also delivering hope. Right now, a portion of purchases made at United Tire will help those in desperate need in Ukraine via the United Way. With locations across the Delaware Valley, you can trust you're getting the best deal on the industry's most trusted tires while helping those displaced in Ukraine. United Tire, united for Ukraine. Remember, don't drive alone, drive United. Right in your Glenn Mack now, it is Saturday. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Modelo. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Morning on 94 WIP. Sixers, Raptors tonight. Six, uh, a little bit after six o'clock is the tip off. Jim wants to discuss it. Jim, what are you thinking? Hey, Ray. Glenn. Yep. Yeah, how are you? Um, I had a couple of three points I wanted to bring up and see if I can get your opinions back on them. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, you there? Okay. Yeah, yeah we got the you. MVP, the MVP, like, I think it's so overrated when, like, you're really splitting hairs, and I, it really bothers me, and I don't know if you feel the same, that the players, especially when you're in the playoffs and you're worried about whether you're getting an MVP award, and it, it is really splitting hairs between one player and another. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think there's I, been a little too much me. importance on it. I, I I don't like it when players themselves talk about it. We can talk about it. Fans can talk about it. Analysts can talk about it. But in my mind, players should pretend they don't care even if they care. 
Yeah, even that. The Sixers just it just bothers me when even players worry about that stuff. Um, also, with the Sixers, I think Embiid and Harden are key. I mean, they're they're it. If they have that good series, we can we can go as far as we can go. But if, if they don't, it's, it's pretty obvious. But um, so people talk about Maxi and the bench and everything else, but really it comes down to Embiid's got to play the way Embiid plays, and Harden has to play the way he should play. Well, seven-game series, a lot of things come into effect. If Embiid is a monster, they can win on that. If, if Harden is a great series, they can. But I think it's going to be more complicated. And what was your third point? My third point is with the draft, and this is a little more obscure. The, I really believe when you're in a draft, is the quarterback is the most valued position. And I just think if a quarterback is there, they grab the quarterback. I'm not, I kind of go to the quarterback factory route. Mm-hmm. And I just want to get your opinion on it. Because if you grab a quarterback, you may not get the dividends now because you don't have the player you want on your roster now. But mm-hmm. the Eagles aren't in that position. But All if right. you, have you know what? I'm going to put it to Ray a different way. And, Jim, thanks for the call. Have, have a great day. Ray, if the Eagles pick comes up at 15, right? are there any quarterbacks who could possibly be available that you are Howie Roseman and you say, I can't pass? Uh, no, not this year. Not this year. I mean, I just don't think this is that class. Uh, And I think that's why, I think that's why Howie made the trade. Part one of the big reasons why he made the trade he made a couple weeks ago, which is trading one of this year's number ones for a number one next year to have two number ones next year. So that they decide at that point that now we really need to go get another quarterback. They'll have more options in a better quarterback draft, which figures to certainly be a better quarterback draft. I think that you know, the, the caller was right in the sense that teams are going to draft quarterbacks just because that's the way the draft works. Uh, but I honestly don't think there's a quarterback in this draft that, to me, warrants a top 10 pick. I just don't think it's one of those drafts. I think the best of them, I, and I've said this throughout most of the seasons, Kenny Pickett from Pitt, I think he's the best of them. He's got my highest grade. But, I mean, there are people that are really, really high on Malik Willis, the kid from Liberty. Um, I mean, I've had several people tell me last week they think he could go number two to Detroit. And I think that's just an outrageous gamble. I mean, he has physical talent. You watch it. I mean, he's got a cannon for an arm. He can run. But he is so far away from being ready to play in the NFL. Um, coming out of a small school, you saw a couple times this year they stepped up in class. He had to play Ole Miss. He had to play Division One teams. And he looked lost. So if you're drafting him, you're drafting him as a total projection that you can coach him and mold him into an NFL quarterback. But it's going to take time. And guys like, right. that, guys like that, to me, aren't the t- second overall pick in the draft. Speaking of NFL and the draft, it is time for the Ray Dinger NFL Draft Preview. Yeah, well, we're less than two weeks away from the draft, so um, all, eyes are going to be on, uh, all eyes are going to be on that. Uh, I think this year the draft is in Las Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. Is that That's where they're doing it? Yeah, right. I thought. Okay. So um, I think I'm going to talk about running backs today, and... You know, for years, the conventional wisdom has been you don't draft running backs in the first round. You just don't draft running backs in the first round. You start looking for running backs in rounds two, three, four, that, and you can find good players down there. And you don't have to look any further than South Philadelphia to know that's true. I mean, you get guys like Wilbert Montgomery was a sixth-round pick. Brian Westbrook was a third-round pick. Deuce Staley was the third-round pick. I mean, those guys, those guys are there. Sean uh, was a great second-round pick. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, and shady, you know, and then so I mean those guys are there, and you don't have to go top five in the draft to find a good running back. So generally, teams will draft other areas and they'll go shopping for running backs day two, day three, 
And I think that's going to be true again this year. I would frankly be surprised if there's a running back taken on Thursday night in the first round really? of the draft. Yeah, I don't I think they're going to go through I think you're going to go through all of Thursday night. You're going to go through the entire first round and I don't think there's going to be a running back off the board. Hmm. Um, but, but I don't want anybody to conclude well there aren't any decent running backs in this draft because there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them, but that's just not how teams are evaluating players right now or valuing players right now. But the good news is if you're looking for a running back, and who knows, the Eagles may be somewhere in the draft. Um, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of good running backs, and they'll be there in rounds two, three, four. They'll be there like a Kenny Gainwell kind of guy could certainly be there for you. And I'll give you my top five. Uh, to me, Brees Hall of Iowa State is number one, five eleven, two seventeen. I rushed for fifteen hundred yards a year ago. Came back this year, rushed for fourteen hundred yards. A lot of people thought he could win the Heisman this year. Iowa State wasn't quite good enough to get him there. But he's a guy that's a good, a good all-around, all-purpose back, a real workhorse, catches the ball well enough to, to stay on the field for third down, uh, and has some breakaway speed, too. So I have him as my number one, Brees Hall of Iowa State. Number two uh, is Kenny Walker from Michigan State. Uh, smaller version, 5'9", 210 pounds. Uh, but makes, if, you, if you've watched Michigan State at all this year, you just see he just has an ability to make guys miss. I think he made more tacklers miss this year in college football than any than any back I saw. Um, he transferred from Wake Forest, came to Michigan State, really thrived in their offense, rushed for 1,600 yards this year, uh, and I think is in the right offense with his speed and elusiveness and his ability to catch the ball. can be a kid that can come in and contribute right away. Uh, my number three is, uh, is James Cook, who's the, bro- who's the younger brother of Dalvin Cook, who's a, a really oh, good player in the well, NFL. I like him already. Really good player. And, and James Cook was a kid that played at Georgia, and I've talked about Georgia endlessly, about how good that team was, mostly about their defense, but James Cook was a big contributor on their offense. Uh, 5'11", 200 pounds. Um, I, I'm not going to say that he's as good as his brother. He's not, but he's still good enough to play and play well in the NFL. Uh, and he's not quite as big and thick and powerful as his brother, but he's got the same kind of elusiveness and good vision. So I think that he can come in and, again, in the right offense, be a real contributor. Um, I'm going to give you two guys here who are a little bit off the radar, but I think could be like third-round picks, maybe fourth-round picks. Damian Pierce at Florida, 5'10", 218. Got down to Florida and kind of got lost in all the personnel down there, which sometimes happens. They have a lot of talented backs. and really didn't quite get the ball enough, but this year – he only had 119 touches, but he scored 16 touchdowns. He didn't get on the field a whole heck of a lot, but he certainly made the most of the time that he got. Um, he, and one of the things I like about him is he he's, wasn't overused in college. He didn't get a whole lot of carries. He didn't get beat up. So he's, he's coming into the NFL with uh, not a whole lot of miles on the odometer. And I think sometimes that's an advantage. That's one of the things I worry a little bit about with Hall and Walker because they were very heavy-duty backs in college, carried the ball a lot. And sometimes that shortens their NFL career. Pierce, I think, comes to the NFL fresh, and I think he's ready to. I think he's ready to take off. And the other one is a guy that played on that Cincinnati team this year that I think people kind of had to pay attention to. They made it to the Final Four. They weren't a glamour team, but they were really good. They have a couple good players on defense. But Jerome Ford was the running back on offense that was really, I think, kind of the key to their running game. I mean, every time they needed a big short yardage play, he got it. And that's what he's got. I mean, he's not super big, but he runs like a powerhouse back. He's 5'10", he's 2'10", breaks tackles, powerful, gets the short yardage, and is also capable of catching the ball and making the big play. But that's just my top five. But I'll tell you, Glenn, there are a lot of really, real. I think this is a really good running back class. So people are going to conclude, well, one of them didn't go in the first round. How good could they be? No, there's a lot of talent here. And if you, want, if you need a running back somewhere along the line, 
I think you're going to be able to find a good win in round three, four, five, maybe. Nice. Well, and I would not mind if the Eagles took like one of those middle round picks and did it. That would be fine with me. Mm-hmm. Hey, a couple other developments going on with the Eagles as well, or or non-developments as it were, because it's just stuff that's being discussed. The Eagles did not get Stephon Gilmore this week, who goes to Indy, and uh, Justina yeah. Anderson, the reporter, who I don't always trust, but I don't have a reason to believe she's lying here, uh, put out the word, Philly made a hard play but didn't get him. Uh, I don't know where that comes from, if it's his agent or somebody within the Eagles or something. But, right, this is the narrative that we've gotten all off season. The Eagles made a real good push for that guy, but he went elsewhere. Right. Which, the coming in second in these things does you no good whatsoever. No, no, there's no silver medals <laughs> in this. Uh, you either get the player or you don't. And a couple weeks ago, you and I were on, and, and, uh, and I brought up Stefan Gilmore's name. And I said, if I were the Eagles, frankly, I'm surprised that he's still available. Uh, and if I were the Eagles, I would be in there big time trying to, trying to make a bid to get him to come to Philadelphia. Um, because even though he's, you know, he's 31, uh, and you'd have Darius Slay at the one corner, and you'd have Gilmore at the other corner, and they're both on the other side of 30. But for right now, they're both really good. Now, you're not drafting them for the next five or six years, but for this year, um, you would have two very good corners. I really like Gilmore. Now, he was, had some injury issues last year in Carolina. Supposedly, he's over those now. None of them were long-term kinds of injuries. Um, but I, I, I really like him. I think he's smart. Um, I, I think he plays with a lot of uh, ferocity. Uh, plays with a lot of intelligence. Uh, and he's, uh, he's a lot like Slay. I mean, he's not afraid to take chances. He's not afraid to gamble. And he's a, those are the kinds of guys that make big plays for you. And I think he would have been a very good companion on the other side of the field. I thought, you know, if the Eagles were in the bidding for him, good. I think they should have been. Sorry they didn't get him. But maybe it just came down to Indianapolis just made a better offer. I mean, you know, 20, maybe, 23, mil, 23 million over two years, that's a pretty significant amount I know, of money. but this is what the market is now becoming, and the Eagles are getting nobody, and each time it's like, well, you know, the market really went crazy. Well, if that's the market, you got to get, you know, whether you're going for the wide receiver or the defensive back or somebody, you got to get him. One other uh, uh, thing of note, uh, there's a local guy has a podcast. His name is Victor Williams. I don't know him. I can't vouch for him. I can't vouch against him. Uh, I, I haven't heard his podcast. But he put out early this week on, on uh, Twitter, he uh, tweeted, Kyle Hamilton is a major reason why talks have seemingly stalled between free agent Tyron Matthew and the Eagles. Philly believes Hamilton could fall. Have to be a lot, uh, and they'd prefer to address safety in the draft before committing big money at that position. Now, why that's noteworthy is not because of this guy's opinion. Why that's noteworthy is because Honey Badger saw this tweet and responded, "LOL, yeah, right," <laughs> which means one of one of several things. It either means that that Tyron Matthew is insulted being compared to a rookie. Mm-hmm. It means that the local podcast guy knows absolutely nothing and is pulling it out of his rear end. Again, I don't know this guy. Maybe he's good. Maybe he's not. Don't mean to, I'm not meaning to rip this Victor Williams. I just don't know him. Or it could mean that, that the Eagles are, in fact, still talking to Tyron Matthews, so he knows that this is BS. Mm-hmm. I usually find that players should not respond to this kind of thing, but often they do, and I want the Eagles to sign Tyron Matthews. Yeah, well, Matthew's one of those guys that is very active in social media, so it doesn't surprise me that he uh, he acknowledged it. Uh, listen, it, it makes sense to me. I mean, they got they they got to find a safety somewhere. Uh, I mean, whether it's in the draft, whether they get lucky with Kyle Hamilton falling, uh, and look, he ain't falling. He ain't falling to fifteen. Okay, yeah. I mean, he his stock may be down a little bit. I mean, I've early 
like six weeks ago or so, uh, most mock drafts you saw had Kyle Hamilton, who's the safety, who's the six foot four safety from Notre Dame, going um, in the top three. I mean, he was a consensus. He was a top three pick, which was high for a safety, but he's he's a rare safety. He has some real special skills. But in his workout, he ran a slow 40, and as this thing always happens, then he started to drop, and then once he started to drop, people started to whisper, and then all of a sudden the drop became more accelerated. And now there are people who are talking about him dropping out of the top 10, which I can't imagine. Um, but if he were to fall to 10, 11, 12, um, look, he's not going to 15. That, that does not happen. But I'd say he gets to 10, 11, 12. Unlikely, but who knows. Um, you know, then the Eagles are in a position at 15. They say, okay, we'll take our first-round pick and maybe a, our, a third-round pick, mm-hmm. and we'll move up the three spots to get Kyle Hamilton. If, they can, if, if that's the way the thing plays out, then fine, you're getting a really good player. I just think that's very unlikely. Uh, I still think that Hamilton, for all that's said and for all that's being said right now, I still think he's going to be top six. I'd be surprised if he was not. I so I think that if, given to me, the Hamilton thing remains a long shot. Matthew is kind of a sure thing. He's sitting right there. All you have to do is pay him. And he's a guy, everywhere he's been, he's been a big contributor. And you talk to Andy Reid or any of the people in Kansas City, and they will tell you how much he meant to their team in winning the Super Bowl a couple of years ago in terms of making plays, being the leader. And right now, the Eagles' secondary consists of Darius Slay, Avante Maddox in the slot, Anthony Harris, and nobody. Yeah, okay, nobody. Uh, So Steven Nelson, who played the other corner, has already signed. He's left. He went to Houston. So you've got basically two open positions that you got to fill, and you either got to fill them with a rookie or a veteran. And I kind of agree with you. Of the veteran options that are out there, Tyron Matthew is the best one by far. Right, the thing you said, all you got to do is pay him. We've heard that a lot this offseason, and maybe it's time to do it. All right, we got to take a quick break. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four coming up. Oh boy. A moment in Philadelphia draft sports history that we may or may not want to remember. We'll see how you feel about that. Ray and Glenn, Saturday morning, 94 WIP. Ray Danger, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. Time for this week in Philadelphia sports history. Brought to you by Shive Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or at ShibeSports.com. Ray, a lot of attention you and I are paying to the NFL draft it is coming up in 12 days, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the draft that will always be remembered, though, for Philadelphia and its fans. Ray, let us go back to 1999. It is the NFL draft. I guess they're still to Marriott Marquis in New York back in those days. Yes, they were. The Cleveland Browns take quarterback Tim Couch with the first pick. That didn't work out. Eagles fans, of which a bus... <laughs> organized by our pal Angelo, Mm -hmm. went up to New York hoping to hear the voice Ricky Williams called out next, but no, here comes the commissioner. The uh, second pick, the Philadelphia Eagles select Donovan McNabb, quarterback, Syracuse University. Well, and Ray, with that... Kind of snowballs at Santa too was was born, the moment that we will never ever ever shake. Yep, yeah, we knew it. Um, I mean, you knew it. It's the instant it happened that he gets introduced, walks out on the stage, and there's this thunderous round of booing. Um, the cameras caught caught our guys really well. Too. Yeah, the, yeah, the uh, the ESPN cameras immediately swung to the balcony where the dirty thirty were. <laughs> <laughs> 
were enraged. Uh, uh, and uh, Angelo, of course, in the middle of it, and our good friend Sean Young in full, in full, uh, in full attire and face paint. Not his proudest moment. Yeah. No, no. And uh, as you know, just sitting there watching it. First of all, I, I knew, I knew going in that that's what the Eagles were going to do. Um, and so I'm just sitting there, just kind of dreading it and sure enough the announcements made McNabb was walking on the stage here comes the thunderous round of booze the cameras swing on them and then uh, all of a sudden just add add another entry into the uh, into the national media ledger of Philadelphia sports <laughs> yeah. fandom yeah and and listen a couple things McNabb era was very successful they did not win a Super Bowl he but he played 10 years here six Pro Bowls runner-up for MVP one season they got to the Super Bowl one year they won nine playoff games lost seven there were also more than a few worm burners and you know throwing up in the Super Bowl which I never thought was a big deal but a lot of people took that as emblematic of him choking I took it as emblematic of just being gassed um, and to be honest, even after he came out with the number five, we'll always love you. We know he always held a grudge about that. Mm -hmm. It lived out and lived in his heart forever and became a thing. Other cities have booed their draft picks. Oh yes, New York giants fans booed when that Phil Sims got drafted. Yes. New York jets fans boo annually often for good cause. Well, I, I was there at the Marriott Marquis the year that they drafted Ken O'Brien and when they could have drafted Dan Marino. Oh, well, the fans were right to boo. And they were right about that one. Yeah. I mean, the fans, I mean, I really, I mean, that was the, the, the boos at the marquee that day because the Jets fans, look, they needed a quarterback. And Dan Marino is sitting right there. And when they come out and they announce, the commissioner comes out and announces that the Jets select quarterback, and the crowd goes crazy because they assume it's going to be Marino. And they say, from Cal Davis, Ken O'Brien. I, I really thought the Jets fans, it was way worse than, than what happened with, with the Eagles and the Eagles fans. I mean, what happened in the Jets fans, I thought they were going to tear the marquee down. I really okay. did. But it stuck with us, right? Oh, sure. It didn't stick. And let, let's take those, that one out for a moment because they had cause. But I do remember Giants fans booing Sims because who was Sims? He was out of Moorhead State, right? right? Nobody right. knew this guy. And they booed, and Sims had a terrific career, and nobody talks about Giants fans booing. We get and will have it forever because that is our legacy. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment. Yep, that was it. That was it. And I thought that, you know, the Philadelphia fans, you know, apologized to Donovan many, many, many times over. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Angelo did. Um, the, um, I mean, nobody apologized more openly um, or unabashedly than Governor Rendell. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, because he, oh, he, he became he was, a Donovan guy. He, he was a, then at the, you people guy. Yeah, but I mean, at the time, and he was mayor, uh, he was front and center on the Let's Draft Ricky Williams bandwagon. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was very outspoken about it. it was a big mistake. They shouldn't have taken McNabb. They should have taken Ricky Williams. Uh, and then over time, when McNabb becomes the quarterback and then becomes a really good quarterback and starts taking the Eagles to championship games, there became no bigger advocate for Donovan McNabb than Governor Rendell. I mean, so he admitted openly, look, I was wrong. I made a mistake. Donovan was the pick. The Eagles got this one right. He said it over and over and over again, and I think a lot of people did. I mean, the city kind of bent over backwards to try and say, hey, listen, you know, we're sorry for that. You know, you've proven to be a really good player. We're glad you're here. And I always thought that Don made a mistake in just not letting go of it, you know, because he, he continued to talk about it all the way through his time in Philadelphia. 
Yeah. And I think there was a point where when the fans kind of came out and said, hey, listen, you're really good. You're our quarterback. We're happy you're here. You know, I think I think he should have just kind of met them halfway and said, hey, listen, don't worry about it. It's in the past. Let's just go win a Super Bowl. And he never quite got there, which We're I think which I think was a mistake on his part. It was not going to happen. Let's go to Vince in the Northeast. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, guys. How you doing today? Hi, Vince. We're good. Just a couple things, and I'll end it with the Tommy and me play I went to last night, Ray. Oh, great. Um, yeah, I'll get into some of that if you don't mind. But uh, just six or points. And, Ray, you touched on it earlier. I think I think home home court advantage is going to be big here. I think we got to be up 2-0 heading into Toronto. I know we lose our best defensive player, one of our best defensive players. Uh, but I don't know if you guys get a chance to read the inquiry today. I'm still one of the few that actually get it delivered. <laughs> And went through the the articles and, and agreed on Embiid and his his dietitian and the process that he went through there to get back in shape and eat better. It's really worth reading. I think Mozell wrote it, but a good, good article there in the uh, Inquirer. Okay, and I didn't read it yet. I mean, that's great. I don't know that his diet's going to make the difference, um, but okay. Uh, what was your uh, what's your Tommy and me thought? Yeah, on the Tommy and me, uh, great. I've seen it before, right? Uh, this venue was great, the Playhouse. I went with some family members. It was great to see it out of their eyes also. I thought it was wonderful. I, I thought I saw a serious Joe Conklin. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was. <laughs> he was a little more serious than he usually is. You're correct. Yeah, he Joe, got a little Joe, was your, uh, <laughs> Joe was your guy last night? Yeah, Joe was our Joe was our talkback host last night, and he was kind enough to drive all the way up to New Hope to, to join us and – and you're right. He was uh, he was a little he was a little serious about it, but uh, I was the audience was delighted. At him. he he did do a little dick for meal for everybody. He did he did give him a little bit of his his dick for meal, which everybody really enjoyed. But it was it was really a fun night. I'm glad you were there, and I'm glad I'm glad you and your family had a good time. And today, and today, uh, yes, um, we have three more shows before we uh, before we close up shop at the Bucks County Playhouse. We have a performance today at two. We have a performance tonight at 8, and then tomorrow on Easter Sunday we have the final show, which is at, uh, at 2 p.m. All of this at the Bucks County Playhouse in New Hope. Uh, we've had a beautiful great theater. We've, uh, it's, it's, oh, uh, God, is it a beautiful theater. And, and it's really nice, you know, walk around that neighborhood. So many places you get it, either lunch before the show or dinner before the show or something after the show, and it really is terrific. It's, it's a great location, and having seen the play seven times, it remains uh, absolutely outstanding, both cast, direction, and all of that. Well, so. thank you. Thank you, Glenn. I want to tell people that there are tickets available still. Um, you can call up and order your tickets and drive up, or you can just walk up to the box office and buy them right before showtime. But uh, please come out. Three more shows, 2 o'clock today with Rob Cherry is going to be there. As, as, <laughs> he's going to be there for the talk back. Then we have the 8 o'clock performance tonight, and then tomorrow's final show, 2 o'clock, uh, and our talk back host will be uh, my good friend from uh, CN8 and KYW, Lou Tilly. Nice. Very nice. Well, good stuff. All right. Coming up, Ray, you and I both... We're not happy, did not take any joy in predicting that Toronto is going to win the series. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk to Derek Bodner, one of the smartest guys around in this town about basketball, the Sixers reporter for the Daily Six newsletter, which he puts out. We'll see if he can change his mind. How's that? Okay, I'm up for it. Coming up after this. Ray Glenn, 94 WIP. You already know United Tires delivers value and expertise, but now they're also delivering hope. 
Right now, a portion of purchases made at United Tire will help those in desperate need in the Ukraine through the United Way. With locations across the Delaware Valley, you can trust you're getting the best deal on the industry's most trusted tires while helping those displaced in Ukraine. United Tire, United for Ukraine. And don't remember, and remember, don't drive alone, drive United. And they've got Del Curry inbounding the ball. They're going to set screens for Vince Carter coming to it. Also watch the quick pass to Curry after he inbounds. Curry has it. Carter trying to get free. Carter at the buzzer. No good. And the Sixers hold on and advance to the conference finals. See, Ray, that's all we want. We that's want all. that moment again. Yeah, we're not asking for a lot. Ray, it was either that or play the quadruple doink, and I figured that would be the highlight that would be better. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thanks for small favors. As we root for good things, and we are joined by Derek Bodner. Follow, on twi- follow him on Twitter at Derek Bodner NBA. He is the Sixers reporter. His product is the Daily Beat newsletter, which is terrific. Derek knows this team as well as anybody, and Derek. We bring you on today for many reasons, mostly your expertise, but secondly, because Ray and I uh, separately have picked the Sixers to lose this series, and we're not happy with that, and we're hoping that you can change our minds. So uh, I guess let us start with the obvious, which is the Sixers will win this series if Joel Embiid can carry them in a way that he is not in previous playoffs it's been a great season for him should we have optimism that Joel Embiid can be Goliath out there yeah yeah and he's really the only because I I share a lot of your concerns or at least what I assume will be a lot of your concerns Um, I have a lot of my own concerns and the one thing that keeps bringing me back to the Sixers side is that Joel Embiid is just that good and not only is he just that good but it's not like 2019 where you're going up against another MVP caliber player although I can't use that excuse for last year um, but he's he's far head and shoulders above anyone else in this series. And I think the Sixers, despite any concerns I have about Harden and him not being maybe what he once was, he's still the best perimeter player that Joel Embiid has ever played with. I think Joel Embiid has more shooting around him than he ever has. And I think he's you know, advanced in his understanding of the game. I think he is more prepared to handle Nick Nurse than he ever has been. He is the reason why I still did pick the Sixers in this series. All right, let me just throw in one quick quote, and I'll turn it over to Ray after this, because you quoted Embiid saying, I'm not going into a series hoping to average 40. They're going to get the ball out of my hands, so it's all about me really not getting frustrated and keep trusting my teammates, all the attention they're going to throw to me. I'm just here to make my teammates better. So I'm, I guess I'm just asking you to comment on on that being the approach. Yeah, I mean, he's – so the Raptors are – generally one of the worst off half-court offenses in the league. They do not score well in the half-court. That's especially true right now because uh, Fred Van Vliet is injured. He's had a nagging knee injury for most of the second half of the season. So the way the Raptors are going to witness is by turning the Sixers over, uh, forcing turnovers, getting out in the break, making this not a half-court game. Raptors are very good at that. They're the best team in the league at forcing turnovers. They play a super aggressive style of defense. And if Joel Embiid does try to force things, he could get caught abated into some of those turnovers. The flip side is if he is patient, if he does see the movement around him, if he does react um, decisively and correctly, there are going to be open shots for the Sixers. He will find his teammates. His teammates have to make the shot. That's an entirely different conversation. But I think if he does come out with the right mindset, even if his teammates start missing shots, I think he's got to keep that because otherwise he can play into 
Toronto's hand. And really, that's the only way Toronto's winning the series is if they, you know, demolish Sixers on the glass and if they force the Sixers into a lot of turnovers. Uh, so I think he has to avoid that trap. I think he's right. Yeah, I, I mean, the the NBA is really two different worlds. There's the regular season, then there's the postseason. Um, and, and, and more in the postseason, certainly, than in the regular season is coaching really does matter. Uh, you know, how you, you, you're playing the same opponent night after night after night. Preparation, strategy, switches, things like that are, are critical. And how you utilize your personnel is critical. Uh, so it really does become more of a coach's game in the postseason than it does during the regular season. How do you see, because I think Toronto, to me, looks like a very well-coached team. Uh, how do you see the matchup of the Sixers coaching vs. the Toronto coaching in this series? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, they are an exceptionally well-coached team. There's very few coaches in this league I have more respect for uh, than Nick Nurse. And, I, you know, I would give them the edge. And I think Nick Nurse specifically is somebody who has caused Embiid some problems in the past. I think the Raptors specifically have some players who can also then disrupt James Harden in a way some other teams couldn't. So I think there's some concern there. Uh, you know, I do still think at the end of the day, having that MVP caliber player is going to be a big quiver that the Sixers have in their arsenal. Um, you know, I think give Joel Embiid enough time. I think he's going to be able to figure out what Nick Nurse has in store for him. But you're 100% right. I have a, a lot of, um, you know, I, I believe that Nick Nurse is a, a really good coach who's going to make the right adjustments. Uh, we'll see whether or not the Sixers and, and Embiid specifically can overcome them. Derek Bonner is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at Derek Bonner NBA. Derek, uh, there are 48 minutes in a basketball game. Joel Embiid is going to play what? We figure 36, 38? Yeah, maybe okay. 40, but yep. Maybe yep. 40. That leaves 8 to 10 that he is not playing. I understand it's a small part of the game, but it has been disastrous. What is the plan, as far as you can tell, for the backup center, the big man, when he's not there? A source of contention between everybody and the coach. <laughs> yeah, um... You know, Doc Rivers at the, the final game of the regular season said that, um, you know, Paul Reed is going to play against more mobile, perimeter-oriented big men, and DeAndre Jordan will play against, uh, you know, bigger, <coughs> excuse me, uh, bigger centers. Uh, well, you look at the Raptors; they don't really have a player that they play that's over six foot nine. Mm. All of them can pretty much shoot three, and DeAndre Jordan has struggled in that role. And we've seen um, Paul Reed be used more in that role at the very tail end of the season over the final three games. So I think going in, they're going to play uh, Paul Reed as a backup center. Now, look, you talk to anyone around the team, and they really do not trust his decision-making, really on both ends of the court. After he makes a couple of mistakes, will that change? I don't know. I have my skepticism over whether or not um, you know, Doc Rivers will stick with that. But right now it does seem like there might be a change for this series. He said it slowly so that you could understand it there. <laughs> he did. He did. Good. Well, when you know, when you watch, even though uh, Harden has has struggled down the stretch here, uh, and his shooting is off, and if you look at the percentages, it's significantly off, especially from from three. But it seems to me that there's a pattern here that's pretty clear to define. It's if he can play in isolation, if he can isolate a player defensively, he's still pretty effective. Where he gets into problems. Is when he gets caught in a, when he gets caught in a switch, and all of a sudden he's up against a big, and he and he can't get that penetration. He can't get inside, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I brought up the coaching thing. I, I just think the ability to try and get Harden into a position where he's comfortable versus what the other team does well defensively is going to be a problem because they're one of the, you know the Toronto among their many strengths defensively is they're one of the best switching teams in the league. 
Yeah, no, they absolutely are. And they've got a lot of players who have a lot of real good uh, size, from Scotty Barnes to Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi. They have a lot of, and their big men can all move their feet. So if you start off with, let's say, Scotty Barnes defending um, James Harden and Precious Achua defending Joel Embiid, they can switch that uh, and be okay pretty much on both sides of that switch. So I think you're right. Rather than maybe seeing a whole lot of Joel Embiid, James Harden pick and rolls, you might see James Harden running a pick and roll with maybe Tyrese Maxey. Do something to try to get James Harden so he's isolated on Fred Van Vliet or Gary Trent Jr. or somebody like that who he has a size uh, mismatch against. And also who, quite frankly, Fred Van Vliet had that knee injury now for a couple of months. He's not moving like he previously was. I think you're going to have to be a little more creative in getting the right matchups that you want and getting you know James Harden to the point where he can be a, a real high-level scorer. I do agree with you that Toronto, for what they come out with in their base defensive scheme, is going to be a tough matchup for James Harden. So, yes, the Sixers have to be a little more creative in trying to get the right matchups. Derek, we have not discussed uh, the the 800-pound the gorilla in the room, which is when they go to Toronto for games three, four, and presumably six, uh, they will not have Matisse Thibel in the lineup because he did not get the second vaccine. Um, I know it's all speculative, but how much of a disadvantage do you expect that to put them at? Yeah, um, I mean, I think certainly on the defensive side of the floor, uh, that puts them at a huge disadvantage. This is a Toronto team. Like I said, they don't have a lot of, you know, sort of like what you would consider a, a high-level shot creator or a high-level perimeter score. What they do is they have four or five guys who can beat you off the dribble. And once they do beat you off the dribble, they're real good at both kicking it out to shooters in the corners and also crashing the glass. They use those lanes that open up um, to get second-chance opportunities. And the Sixers, outside of Bible, really do not do a good job of denying dribble penetration. And I think Toronto is going, because they have enough, maybe not the high-level score, they have enough options, enough scoring options, where I think they're going to be able to take advantage of that to some degree. So it's going to be a pretty big loss on the defensive side of the floor. Flip side is, offensively, you know, Toronto is real aggressive with their perimeter defenses. They like to trap a lot. Um, they like to send their, their big wings to pressure the ball and try to force mistakes. In doing so, they tend to leave the corners open uh, for three-point shooters. When Matisse Seibel's on the floor, uh, you can leave him open in the corner with really no concern because he's not going to take the sh- he's not going to make the shot. A lot of times, he's not even going to take the shot. So I think it, that loss will actually help the Sixers on the offensive side of the floor. The question is whether or not they're going to lose it all back on the other end. And I mean, this is not a team where you can lose very many of your perimeter defenders because, quite frankly, they only have one. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, in assessing the series and conversation about it, all the breakdowns and analysis during the week looking ahead to this, uh, have made a point of, and totally understandable, is is the idea of, of Toronto's ability to win on the offensive glass. I mean, they are really, really good getting offensive rebounds. The stats certainly support that, and if you watch them play, they certainly support that. Um, and even Doc Rivers has talked about that's something we're going to have to deal with. Um, how do the Sixers go about neutralizing that? Because that's one of the things that really has, has helped Toronto in, in games. And if they're not shooting a high percentage, if they're still getting the offensive rebounds of second and third chances, it really offsets that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure the Sixers can really stop it, but hopefully they don't get destroyed too much. I think part of it is denying that first dribble penetration. Uh, because one that once that ball handler gets into the paint, um, it opens up, like I said, offensive rebounding lanes. Um, and I think that hurts them. You know, I think they're going to have to sell out a little bit to bring their wings in to get those defensive rebounds. That might cost them a little bit in terms of getting out on their own break, but I think it's something they have to do. And quite frankly, they just need more contributors on defensive glass. You know, I think if they do get beat off the dribble on the perimeter, Joel Embiid's going to have to step up to contest the shot. They're going to need 
Tobias Harris, James Harden, George Niang, Danny Green, Matisse Leibel when he's playing at home games. Um, they need more con- contributions from those guys. It can't be all on Embiid because Embiid's going to be rotating all over the floor and just got to be a much more concerted effort. Some of these players that don't necessarily play with a whole lot of physicality on the glass are going to have to uh, muster some up uh, because this is a team that is going to crash the glass. And not just like physicality. Toronto's going to come in from the perimeter. They're going to swoop in with their athleticism. Uh, if you don't have a body on them, it's going to be real tough to keep them off the glass. That is a maybe the biggest key in the series. All right, Derek, let us close with your prediction. Derek Bodner, um, what do you see? I do still have the Sixers. Uh, it might be six, might be seven. I don't think anybody would necessarily be confident in them winning a game six on the road. But then again, we saw them lose a game seven at home last year. So maybe I'm talking myself out of it. But I do still have the Sixers winning in six or seven. There you go. Check him out. Uh, the Daily Six newsletter with Derek Bodner. Follow him on Twitter at Derek Bodner NBA. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for being our guest. Thanks for your expertise. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, Derek. Uh, there you go. Ray, he, he picked the Sixers. Yes, he did. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not doubting his sincerity. No, no, no. I think he's. Certainly, I think, no, certainly I, was not. It was not an overwhelming endorsement. No, it was not. I, 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 one of the things I really like about. I mean, I like a lot about Derek. I think he's a really smart basketball guy. But he's, you know, I mean, he covers the team. But I think he's, he views it through a very objective lens. Mm. And I think all the concerns that he laid out are perfectly, perfectly understandable. I mean, they're all. They're, you know, the, everything he laid out uh, in, in terms of concerns are all the reasons that you and I are picking Toronto. Yeah, so we don't see know. it that differently. But. You know, I mean, he does keep coming back to the one point that probably is ultimately going to be the difference, and that's the big guy. You know, I mean, yep. he could, you know, he could put this team on his shoulders and carry him through this round. But that's what they're—that's probably what they're going to need. You know, I would love that. you know, I don't—I don't think you're going to have—I don't think this is when the series is all said and done. People aren't going to be talking about Tobias Harris carrying them through. It's <laughs> going to be—it's either going to be in beat or it's going to be out. Yeah, or well, you hope Harden recovers. But yes, to your point, yes, and. And Beat is a beloved athlete in this town, and for good reason. He's great talent. He's fun. Uh, he's funny. And he had his best season this year by a lot, and it would be terrific if it translates into a long and great postseason. We'll see. Uh, let's get Joe up. Wants to talk about the Sixers. Hey, Joe. Hey, guys. Great show as usual. Thanks. Um, got Thank a chance you. to meet both of you guys at different theatrical events. Um, Ray, I saw uh, Peter Exile, I saw Tommy, and Glenn, you and I met at a callback for Guys and Dolls and swap more players. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, I want to not necessarily disagree with either of you, but I want to look at it through another lens, the series. And I really look at the secondary shooters as the keys. I think, by and large, when you get rest and you've got veterans that have been successful, uh, with obviously some exceptions, that you're going to count on them to not just do what they're going to do, but do what they're going to do to draw the defense towards them. That leaves the players with open space, the players that can penetrate. So I really think this series, given, given if that's a fact, this series kind of falls on Maxie and Harris because Maxie's got to penetrate and Harris has got to find his shot. If these guys can get close to 20 points a game, both of them, then I think we have a real good chance to win Um, And as a backup to my point, remember the stat last year when the secondary shooter was Curry and he made 20-plus a game. The Sixers were something like 17-3 and or 17-2. and So I really look at those two guys as a key, given the fact that the bigs are going to do their job. Yeah, Ray, what do you think? Yeah, I I, I certainly see your point, and it can can happen that way. But generally when you get to the postseason – 
you you rise and fall with the big guys. You know, I mean that's more so more so than the regular season. In the in the in the playoffs, they they're the white guys that get the minutes. They're the guys that are on the floor in crunch time. They're the guys that either have to get it done or not. And um, yes, Harris certainly has to contribute. As I said before, I think in the fourth quarter, he's going to have the ball in his hands a couple of times, and he's going to have the opportunity to to make a big shot. And if he makes it, it could be the difference. If he misses it, same thing. Uh, and you know, Maxi Maxi's going to be. I mean, he's. I mean, he's really emerging. I mean, you see him this year. He's really emerged as mm-hmm. as a guy who's on on the cusp of being a star. I think, but I don't think he's quite there yet. You know, I think this series everybody has to do their part, but the series is going to come down to it's going to come down to the two guys you knew it was going to come down to. It's going to come down to Embiid and Harden. And one of the things that I think the one of the ways the Sixers can win this thing is you know those are the two guys they're going to be on the foul line a ton the two of them, because they're going to have the ball a lot, they're going to get fouled in the fourth quarter, they're going to be on the line a lot, and they're both very good foul shooters. And in close games, and I think we're going to be looking at six, seven close games here, You know, having those two guys on the line in the fourth quarter could be the difference. So we got Jay up next, wants to talk about Aaron Nola, the conundrum of a mystery of an enigma that is that pitcher, and then we got room for your calls at 215-592-9494. Don't forget, coming up at noon to tell us your story with our pal Ross Tucker, and, Ray, this was a really interesting one because everybody knows Ross. They hear him on WIP. They see him on TV. They hear him doing, you know, national play-by-play. But Ross's backstory, which I've heard bits and pieces, when he tells it in detail is a is a fun and fascinating backstory. He's the grinder. He's the guy who was never the superstar but lasted seven years in the NFL and came across some fascinating figures along the way. So it's kind of a different – we normally talk to stars. Exactly. Ross, a, God bless him. Is he's he's more of a star after his career than during? Oh, for sure. Yeah, more yeah. people more people know who Ross is today through his work, through the media, through his writing, and through his broadcasting. Did as a player, but the fact is, he came in as an undrafted free agent and played seven years in the NFL, five different teams, and for some great coaches. I mean, Marty Schottenheimer, Bill Parcells, Joe Gibbs. So, I mean, he. I mean, he never made a Pro Bowl, and he's not going to the Hall of Fame. But he he's a smart guy who absorbed a lot of football, and he shares it with us in the next hour. Yeah, so we're looking forward to that. But next, Ray, next, and let me tell people again, 215-592-9494. Uh, I, we love doing what we're watching. When I came up to Tommy and me last weekend to do it, I had several people come up to me and want to talk about sports. I had three times as many come up to me and want to talk about <laughs> our TV and movie recommendations. Yeah, yeah it happens to me every happens night. happens all the time. Yeah, all, all the time. All the right. time. So we're going to do that when you come back? We are, because, and people said to me, when are you going to give me another British cop show? I love the British cop shows. When are you going to watch a British cop show? <laughs> I'm watching a British cop show. I'm going to come back and recommend it to you. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. You already know that United Tire delivers value and expertise, but now they're also delivering hope. Right now, a portion of purchases made at United Tire will help those in desperate need in Ukraine via the United Way. With locations across the Delaware Valley, you can trust that you're getting the best deal on the industry's most trusted tires while helping those displaced in Ukraine. United Tire, united for Ukraine. Remember, don't drive alone, drive united. All righty, what we're watching is sponsored by Got a Door and Window. Buy any window or door and get the second at 50% off, plus interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Call Guided Door and Window Day 1877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Ray, mm-hmm. I've got it. I got the new British cop show, and I'm loving it. And it's called Slow Horses. 
the with the which is the first word of it is a play on slow s l u g h which is a british cop uh station slow house and it's it's based off of a series of novels by a british writer named mick heron who i don't know but is very popular in fact he is so popular in some circles that you know who wrote and sings the um the song that accompanies the opening and closing credits i do not know some guy named mick jagger whoa right yeah that's pretty, pretty good pretty good yeah i'd say when you write something and, and mick jagger calls you and says i hear it's going to be a tv show can i create a song for it that's a pretty good start it uh it started a, a couple of weeks ago it's on apple tv plus and i find myself these days find, finding a lot of good program on Apple TV Plus, I've told people what you can do is get like a one-month subscription for, I don't know, six bucks, and just watch all of these shows. Slow Horses um, stars an ill-tempered, nasty uh, Gary Oldman, a very good actor, uh, who hangs around the police station that he runs with holes in his socks and uh, hair that looks like he hasn't washed it in weeks. He is the boss of this fictional uh, group of policemen in a shabby building where agents of MI5, the British Intelligence Agency, are sent if they screw up. So anybody who's made a costly mistake but can't get fired is there to carry out the grunt work. These are the guys who spend all day sorting through the trash, for example. Mm -hmm. While he, Gary Oldman, hurls insect, uh, insults at them. He says, he says at one point, he says, you're useless. The lot of you. Working with you has been the lowest point in my disappointing career. Um, <laughs> you remember, I'm sure you watched the movie Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Yes, I did. Okay, which he he's in. He stars in that thing. This is him if he went to seed and developed a chronic drinking problem. It's got a, tr a very strong cast beside that. Kristen Scott Thomas is the very, oh, steely head of operations, mm -hmm. right? She was in the the movie that never ended, English Patient. I think it's still going on, as a matter of fact. Yes, yes. This yeah. is what Kate Blanchett was not uh, available. Is that? No. Uh, this sounds like it was a role that was tailor-made for her. Yeah, sure. Uh, Jonathan Price, who's been in a lot of good stuff. He's a retired spy master. Jack Loudon, who's in a lot of British TV shows that I've watched, is the young agent who recently arrived there after screwing something up. It will hook you in the very first scene of the first episode, which is a 10-minute hold-your-breath action scene. People who watch the TV show Bodyguard, which I recommended a couple of years ago, it'll take you back to there with the opening scene of, oh, my God, is this happening? Uh, there's great tradecraft, which I like, spies and cops doing their work, not just sorting through the trash. But as I said, these are the screw-ups kind of looking for redemption. You get their backstories. One guy blew up, the uh, blue didn't blow up, blue, the suspect identification when terrorists uh, blew up a, a subway station. Another one left a top-secret paper on a train. They're not James Bond, in other words. Yeah, apparently. No, and they're mockingly known as the slow horses who've blown their career and are trying to get it back as Gary Oldman abuses them with insults. And, by the way, very loud, close-distance flatulence. He's very big on that. Uh, I really like Gary Oldman. You talk about a versatile actor. Yes. You think you look love at, him in this. You look back on his career. My goodness. I mean, he's, he's played everybody from the crazy drug-dealing pimp in um, um, – uh, was a true romance. Yeah. Oh, to yeah. to uh, the role that he won an Oscar for, which was Winston Churchill. Yeah. And, and everything in between. He's, he's really good. He's he's like an old 
just what's it? Were you use this word? I, I learned it from you. Desultory. Yes. Yeah. Unkempt. Uh, uh, head of the station. Um, it's really good. It's been a while since I've watched a top-notch British cop or spy show, and I have found one. Um, and here's a way I know that you're going to like it. The executive producer on this is a guy named Graham Yost, who also did Justified and The Americans, which are two shows I really, really like. Yeah, I got on The Americans late, but that was very good. Right. As I say, the original theme song is written by Mick Jagger, who is a fan of the book. So hop on this show and hop on it now. It's it's only by the way, it's only six episodes. It's one of those British things where like they're gonna do it and then it's gonna be done. They may have a second season, but it's six episodes, so it's not a huge investment of time. Slow horses on Apple TV Plus is my recommendation for the year. And those people who like British cop shows, and there are many among us, catch this one. Well good. I can I can I have not seen it, but I can offer a, an endorsement from Matt Pfeiffer, who's one of the actors in Tommy and Me. Oh, yeah. Uh, during our break yesterday when we were just sort of sitting around, uh, he was talking about, because Matt just loves all kinds of theater, all kinds of movies, TV. I mean, he just consumes everything. And I really do trust his judgment on stuff. And he spent a half an hour talking about this show, how he's really hooked on it and saying all the things. A lot of, really made a lot of the same points you did and said this is really can't miss TV. And you respect his point of view. Uh, thoroughly. I think Matt's one of the smartest theater people, one of the smartest arts people I know. And you think that, you know, I know a little bit about TV. You do, for sure. And yet, you'll never watch this. Nah, probably not. <laughs> I don't know why I keep banging my head with you. <laughs> I don't do these for you. I, I used to do these for you. I actually... That's how it started, really. I used to... Right. It used to be me trying to find a show for you. Right. And then I kind of like gave up, and now it's just, you know, I like good shows, and I love sharing them. And as I said, I get a lot of feedback on this from the audience, and yeah. so it's really fun well, for me. Well, there you go. Just consider it a public I know, service. but there's part of me, like everybody around you is saying like, hey, Ray, this is a great thing. And you're like, eh, you yeah, know. Uh, our producer today, Vince Quinn, uh -huh. is catching up on a show. It's, it's not new, but it is very good. I watched it a couple of years ago, and Vince is into it. Vince, what do you got? Uh, Kyle. Sorry. Kyle, I do this to you. I'm Kyle. I'm so sorry. That's all right. I really apologize. That's okay. I clearly know the difference, and I fall into this way too often. It's it's an easy trap to fall into. I right. know. So uh, is, you know, your cousin. All good. So during the break, Len, you and I discussed it. I'm probably a little bit behind the uh, behind the eight ball on the show. I think it probably got off the air like three years ago, 2019. I think it was. So. Uh, mm -hmm. But I am a Seinfeld fan. I know uh, it's not really up Ray's alley. Definitely up your alley. But uh, I always uh, had, uh, I'll call it an admiration for Julia Louis-Dreyfus, great actress. Now, uh, <laughs> Admiration. Is yes, just okay, admiration. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this show's been out a little while, but a friend of mine, I guess, just got into it himself not too long ago, and he recommended it to me. Uh, it didn't take much convincing for me to try it out, because as I said, Seinfeld fan. It's called Veep. I guess yep. it's uh, just an abbreviation for VP, Vice President. So Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the fictional Vice President of the United States. Her name is Selena Meyer. Uh, in what I'd call a political satire, it's the show basically just 
you know, everything around her is kind of just on fire, so to speak. So she's sort of just running around constantly cleaning up what you would call PR disasters, I guess. And it's uh, it's really just one thing after another. It kind of teeters on, you know, like an awkward cringe comedy yes. type of humor. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, yeah. Yes, it does. And uh, I'm really only through the first season so far. And, uh, you know, like a lot of comedies, I would say it takes a few episodes to really find its footing and get rolling but uh once it did i really started uh enjoying it and i'm only like i said through a a few episodes here but i'm definitely going to stick it out i would definitely say it's worth it it's clever it's witty it's really well acted um besides julia louis dreyfus i wouldn't say there's any real big time actors um you can correct me if i'm wrong on that one but i do think it was very well casted and everyone is kind of right where they need to be um it's seven seasons on hbo max so for what it's worth, it gets the Kyle Quinn seal of approval. If you want, very to check good it out. show. I enjoyed. It. I watched this from beginning to end. That's uh, that's a, that. I can I can actually comment that I saw that and I liked it. Oh, oh yeah, there you go. I liked it. Yeah, I did. Wow. I, well, you know what I liked about it? I liked about it because to me it was a very it was a very entertaining counterpoint to West Wing. I thought yeah. West I thought West Wing took itself way too so seriously. Pretentious there. Way too seriously, and I thought Veep was just a really funny other side of the coin look at the at that the government and the White House and, yeah. you know, the pomposity of the people that uh, that run this country. I just thought I, I, there was things about West Wing I really liked. I thought it was well done. It's Aaron Sorkin, so it's well written for the most part. A little over dialogue, but okay. But I, I really liked the fact that Veep kind of kind of deflated the, the mythology of it. I thought that was really well done. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm with Kyle. I thought that uh, I, I, Julie Lugardrace is really, really good. She's awesome. Yeah. Glenn, you hear that? Looks like it's uh, one nothing Kyle today on what we're watching. Right. <laughs> I didn't know there was going to be a vote. <laughs> no, Kyle, I'm with you on that. It's a great show, and it's yeah. Again, it's I uh, went off the air a couple of years ago, but th- these shows are always there, and that's a very bingeable show. I remember um, I had uh, surgery a couple of years back, and I watched two seasons in about three days, kind of recovering. So yeah, they're only thirty minute episodes. So yeah, that's great. All right, good stuff. Uh, all right, let's go to Robert in Germantown. What's on your mind, Robert? Oh, it's always a pleasure listening to you guys. I'm calling you the culture vultures. Wow. Actually, I think somebody else has already used that nickname, but okay. That's cool. We'll take it. No, no. I mean, if I was programming a show at National Public Radio, you'd be my new Cisco and Ebert for sure. Well, thank you. <laughs> Except Ebert's no. got to start uh, watching more shows. Yeah. Did you see the movie at The Outfit? Have not, Ray. What's that? The Outfit with Mark Rylance. No, normal actor, great, no, great movie guys. I have not, I have not yet. I've been my movie going has been sort of hamstrung by the combination of Tommy and me and the NFL draft. I'm hoping to start catching up in in a couple of weeks. Well, I'm right on the road now, heading up to your show. I'm going to stop and get some barbecue here and skip back, I think, and then wander over. Uh, the, oh, nice. the, the basketball game tonight. The earlier caller, he's correct. I think it's really going to come down to Embiid's going to see double teams permanently. Uh, the guy's got to hit their open shots. Tobias Harris in particular, he's got to step it up and make those shots. And Green and other people, for them to have a chance, I'm with you. I, I picked Toronto, mainly on the basis of the coach and no thigh bowl. Uh, the second thing I was looking at earlier, guys, I know we're all talking about the NFL draft, but I was looking ahead to my favorite draft, which comes in July, which is the NHL draft, and I noticed that four of the top projected prospects are being favorably compared to Bobby Clark, to two young centers from my hometown in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I, you know, maybe you can explain this to me. I just don't understand how the NHL draft works. It drives me nuts. 
and playing with different models. Way. I mean, they have a lottery. Is that is that the? I think I think they have some sort of cockamamie lottery, and it pre- prevents people from doing things like the process, which may be good. But it is I don't good. know. I, I grew up. I, I grew up at a time when they didn't have it. In fact, they had a deal back then where Montreal got to pick two French Canadians before the draft. Yeah, well, and and yeah, they used to have a, like a territorial thing under which I think the Bruins yeah, also got yeah. Bobby Orr that way. Yeah, that's been right. that's been long. I mean, the NBA once had a territorial draft, which allowed Philadelphia to get to Will get Chamberlain. Will Chamberlain. <laughs> yeah, though, though, those worlds don't exist. Although there's a part of me that actually would you can't do that for the NHL. I don't think we have enough talent here. But NBA, that'd be kind of good, right? Yeah. Well, um, and back the, in the NFL draft back in the '40s had what they called the bonus pick, which was just purely luck. I mean, that was a pure lottery. That all the teams they literally dropped the name of every team in a hat. And the commissioner reached in and pulled out the slip of paper, and whoever that team was, and you all got the same number. Everybody got one vote. It wasn't like it was weighted by based on record. Wait, this was the first round. Yeah, and it was, and they dropped was all the, the names Jay in a hat. Burwanger the com- era? the commissioner pulled. And I think it came after Jay Burwanger. It was more like maybe almost like post World War II, uh, and they pulled it out. And that team, regardless of their record, got the first pick in the draft. And that was how in 1949. As the defending world champions, the Philadelphia Eagles won the lottery, and that's how they got Chuck Bednarik with the first pick. Oh, everybody wonders how you know how in the world and did that the wasn't e- territorial. That was no, it was just it was just they pulled it out of a hat. And Bethlehem and, was, and all that. And, stuff. Yeah, and number one bonus pick goes to Philadelphia, and that was how Chuck Bednarik wound up in playing Sweet. for the Eagles. Nice, but I, they, uh, at some point they just thought this this is a pretty stupid idea, and uh, it kind of worked against the idea of trying to balance out the roster. So they got away from it, but that did exist for a few years. I'm anti-rewarding incompetence. Well, I, I don't want to open that door right now, but one of these days I want to talk to you about that because I I don't like the drafts reward failure. You, so. well, yeah, I, I get it. Okay, let me. Uh, Jay's been hanging here. Wants to talk about Aaron Nola. Jay, there's nothing so, good yeah. to say about Aaron Nola, but what do you got? Yeah, no, no, there isn't. Uh, and I'll, let me get to that in a quick. But I, I also want to remember another sports moment in Philly history happened this past Thursday, 46 years ago. It was the last hockey championship the city ever had. Mm-hmm. I want to see if Ray can remember. The last hockey championship was how many years ago? 46. Okay, was that the, was that the Phantoms, I guess? No, the Philadelphia oh, the Philadelphia Firebirds, Firebirds right? The Lockhart yeah. Cup. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I, I do was, think uh, the Phantoms won a cup, which makes the statement uh, yeah. not accurate. But anyway, right. we, yeah, well, we got to get well, to NOLA because we got we to gotta hit yeah, a break. Yeah, okay. Well, here's the thing. If we forget 2018, when NOLA was drafted by the Phillies, his scouting report said, number one, he'd be the fastest guy in the draft as a pitcher to make the majors, which was true. And number two, it said he had a chance to be a serviceable number three starter. If you take 2018 out of the mix, that's exactly what he has been for his entire time as a Philly. So I think we're just looking for too much out of a guy that that had one shining moment. I disagree. One shining year. I disagree. I think, and that was his best year. I think 2020, uh, limited as it was, was a very good year. Uh, I think 2019 was 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 a pretty good year as well. Uh, it's really been the last. It was 2021 to me is when he went sour, and and this year you know so far. So maybe yeah. that maybe that means I have a little more hope. Um, but I I I don't think he's I don't I don't think he's always been just a serviceable start. I think he's been more than that over the years. 
And even last year when he was, you know, the overall season was disappointing, there were some moments in there where yeah. he pitched really well. that one game where he struck out 10 guys in a row. Yeah. I mean, he can. That's what makes him so frustrating because you see it. You see glimpses of what you thought he was going to be. And you think, okay, well, maybe he's turned the corner here. And then he goes out the next game and gives up, you know, three, 480-foot shots. So uh, I, I've just – it's just really discouraging because I liked him so much coming up. I mean, you saw him pitch, you saw him pitch in the minors. Oh, yeah. He looked, I, I mean, he looked, him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he looked, he looked every inch the ace. You know, yep. he, was, he, he had the size, he had the arm, he had the bearing, he had the command. You thought, here's – oh, man, I can't wait till this guy gets to Philly because he's going to be here and he's going to be our number one – for a decade. And, you know, there's been those moments of it. And there was the one year where he was like third in Cy Young. But since then, it's just been so up and down and now way more down than up. No question. Ray Danger, Glenn Mack. Now, don't forget, coming up at noon, tell us your story with Ross Tucker right here on 94 WIP. You know, you already know the United Tires delivers value and expertise. But now they're also delivering hope. Right now, a portion of purchases made at United Tire will help those in desperate need in the Ukraine via the United Way. With locations across the Delaware Valley, you can trust that you're getting the best deal on the industry's most trusted tires while helping those that are displaced in Ukraine. United Tire, united for Ukraine. Remember, don't drive alone, drive united. Right in your Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP, coming up at noon. Ross Tucker tells us his story. We're looking forward to uh, that uh but first we check in with our doctors from cooper bone and joint uh you know what my screen is dead uh here uh kyle so tell me who we got and dr david gelt is with us hey dr gelt how are you morning happy uh, easter and happy passover everybody. thank you same and to same, you doctor same to you so um we've got the nfl draft coming up and always an issue with the draft, players coming off injury. Uh, we do think it's possible the Eagles are going to be looking at wide receiver. And there are a couple in there that maybe the Eagles will look at who seem to have some issues. And, and uh, you know, we always give the, the precursor that you have not looked at their medical reports and so on. Um, but two guys who look pretty good are coming off of ACL injuries. Jamison Williams, who suffered in the national championship game, and George Pickens, I'm sorry, George Pickens suffered in the national championship game and Jameson Williams uh, also, which really slowed him down this week. I think I just got that backwards. Anyway, um, used to be that a torn ACL was a real, real cautionary note, going to drop the guy back many, many rounds. Is it still? Is it? Is it something that if you're a team looking forward, you worry about or something you think like, ah, that's you, you come off of that good as new? Yeah, I mean, um, any injury is, a, is something you have to be concerned about, and I give it a red flag. But nowadays, with uh, with their techniques and technology, ACLs uh, are so common. We see it all a lot, and people come back uh, you know, after six nine months, they're doing you know moving along pretty well, and within that year or so afterwards, they're back to normal almost. Um, you know, it also depends on their rehab, but um, it's something you still have to be concerned about for sure. If and this is very common in, in the NFL now, is that they have, you know, real high-level medical consultants that they talk to before the draft because of the investment you're making in these guys. Uh, and if, if you were sitting in the Eagles draft room on draft day um, and you were sitting there with Howie Roseman and Jeff Lurie and Nick Sirianni and 
we, we all have seen what Jamison Williams is, the, the, the kid from Alabama. We've seen mm-hmm. it as the 4-3 four, four, speed, electrifying player. But he tore his ACL in the national championship game. So that's January. Um, and from all reports, his rehab has gone fine. The surgery went fine, blah, blah, blah. But let's say the Eagles come up at 15, and Jamison Williams is sitting on the board. And Howie Roseman turns to you and says, we love this player, Doc. What do you think? Should we invest the first-round pick in him? What, is, what really is the medical risk? What would, be your, would your advice be, you know, not, no, not right now, not this high? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a great question, and uh, it's what you get paid the big bucks for. Um, I think, um, you know, especially with needs, he'd um, be a, a great player, and if he does well and he comes back 100%, then you have a steal. Um, but it, it is a little risk. Um, I, I mean, I think with, with our team, if we, we had another – you know, speedster and a, but a bigger guy, I think it'd be worth worthwhile. But and we also have some defense we have to take care of too. Um, but I, I, if you want to roll the dice and, and say yeah, let's do it, then and I'm, I'm good for it. Right, that's a seal of approval. Sure is. Worked for me, and I don't disagree. By the way, Doc, the defense has got to be the priority. So there you go. Before I, we let you go, yeah. I uh, I like your uh, TV uh, thoughts some these days, Doctor Gelt. You watching anything good? Um, what was I watching recently? Um, oh shoot! I, I actually started back on Billions because I haven't watched oh, yeah, that. Oh back for a new season. About, yep. Yeah, so it's been pretty good. Great show. Um, I do also want to say that uh, the other week, uh, I want to change my opinion. I actually joined Team Ray for uh, the Phillies. Um, oh no, 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 no! <laughs> you can they go to a three and five start? You don't abandon ship, Doc. No. No, we, we were to, we where you these, were. That's going to be uh, turned around. I hope no, so. it's eight games into the season. Come on, man, Don't stick it, it out. All right, all, all right. right, all right. We'll talk to you soon. And you're you're on Team Glenn on the Phillies. <laughs> I am for now, yes, but yeah, I'm, 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 I got I got one foot off the. Uh, they, obviously, <laughs> all right. Thanks, thanks for your medical expertise, and no thanks for your chickening out on the Phillies. <laughs> all right, guys, have a good one. Right, okay, doctor. Right. Boy, he was quick to jump. Wasn't he? How about that, boy? All it takes is uh, back-to-back losses to the Marlins. Yeah, all right. Yeah, like, when, are they, when are they going to finally figure out how to beat that team? I don't know. They're 6-13 and 13 in Miami over the years. I, I don't get it. Uh, we've got about 30 seconds. Let me get Tori in Collingsdale. Tori, what's on your mind? Hey, guys. Um, hey. hey, Ray. I just wanted to say I met you last year at Barnes & Noble, um, Bill Shefsky's granddaughter. So it's my first time. Oh, in. yes. How are you? It was very, it was um, very nice meeting you. You, too. It was awesome. Um, I know I only have a few seconds here, but I just want to try to get a couple thoughts in on the Sixers and the Phillies. Um, I know you guys both picked the Raptors. Yeah. I try, try not to be too much of a homer. I try to be objective. But I'm trying to think of the bigger story here. Embiid is about to get robbed of the MVP. We are devastating lost in Toronto, Game 7, the Kawhi shot. Mm-hmm. This is our revenge tour. This is what I'm calling it, revenge tour. I still Hope think so. it goes seven games. I'm kind of – I know no one wanted to play the Raptors. I kind of like it. For our story, I kind of like it that we're going to have to play a hard seven games and we're going to have to prove ourselves. Um, so I'm trying Tori, really to. I, I hope so. I I got to run. I can't get your other thoughts in because we got to hit the break. I hope you are correct. We will see how it plays out. All right, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, tell us your story, Ross Tucker. Stick around; it's a really good one. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now ninety four WIP. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Got clock at four. Doncic. 
The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 